Hello, Redeemer. Uh, you can open up in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We continue our series through uh, the, the book, the letter of 1 John today. Uh, the Apostle John, uh, an old and faithful pastor at this point, is writing to the church that he loves. Uh, he's writing to people he knows, he loves. Uh, and, and one of his big themes is love. And we've seen that throughout the book. God is love, that we should love each other. And we talked about that last week, that uh, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we also should lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Um, and we'll see today another theme, another theme from uh, this letter. So let's read together, starting off First uh, John uh, chapter 3 and starting in verse 19. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Pray with me one more time. Father, we, we come to you this morning and we want to hear from you. Uh, would you please speak to us by your spirit? Um, you know what we need uh, and you know, you know those listening who need encouragement. You know those listening who need rebuke. You know those listening um, who need comfort. Uh, Lord, would you give us everything that we need uh, this morning by your, by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. The, re the repeated phrase uh, that we see twice in our passage starts, kind of starts in 19 and also ends it in, in uh, 24. Uh, the phrase, that you may know, sums up another one of John's themes in uh, this letter that he's writing. Uh, and he, the, you can sum up the theme, I think, in, in chapter 5, verse 13, which says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that you may know and so John is concerned with the believer's assurance of eternal life uh, or of our confidence before God, right? Another way to say it. Uh, John is concerned about our confidence. We would have confidence before God. And so today we're going to see three things, uh, a barrier to our confidence, a barrier to our confidence, our basis for confidence, and then last, the freedom of confidence. You thought it was going to be a B, I thought. Uh, you, you probably did, but... I'm not that good. So uh, the barriers, a barrier to our confidence, our basis for confidence, and the freedom of confidence. Uh, so first, a barrier to confidence. This is verse 19. Uh, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. Um, I trusted Jesus when I was really young. Uh, I was, a, uh, you know, just like four years old. And so growing up, I, I struggled a lot with assurance, I think partially because I was so young. And I ask a lot of questions. Am I really saved? Did I really understand the gospel when I first believed? Did I, did I say the prayer right? Uh, you know, and, and also, you know, with my sin, with my struggle, the things that I struggle with, can I really be a Christian? And I, I, I've gone through a lot of these struggles myself, and I know a lot of Christians have this struggle as well and struggle with their confidence before God. 
And in fact, if you notice, John, he doesn't say, uh, if our hearts condemn us. Right? He says, whenever our hearts condemn us. Whenever our hearts condemn us. Um, and, and so the barrier to our, our confidence is our doubts. It's our doubts. And John says, we will have doubts. Right? We will have doubts. Um, the first thing uh, I'd say, if, if you came to me with doubts, uh, is that you're normal. Right? You are a normal person, normal Christian, right? Um, it, it doesn't mean you aren't a Christian if you just have doubts. I think a lot of people think that. They think, yeah, faith is the certainty and you always have to have it. You can't ever doubt. And that's just not true. John the Baptist, uh, the one Jesus calls the greatest man born, ever born of woman, right? Uh, the one who announced the coming of the Messiah, the one who had the famous humility to say, I must decrease, he must increase. Um, at the end of his life, he doubted. Right? He was put in prison and he sent a message to Jesus. He said, are you the one or should I expect another? Are you really him? Are you really the Messiah? And so Christians have doubts. We do. There are all different types of doubts a Christian can have. Uh, we associate, uh, you know, it says our hearts condemn us. We associate the word heart with emotions primarily. Uh, but, but the word heart in the Bible, it, it means the center of a person. Right? It means uh, the, the control center. So your emotions, your, your uh, will, and your mind. Right? All these things are kind of encompassed in the biblical idea of the heart. That's why often the Bible talks about your, the thoughts of your heart. Right? Well, because it encompasses your mind. Right? There's, uh, this is the control center. And so there's a lot of different ways that our hearts can condemn us. Uh, we can have intellectual doubts about the existence of God, about the authority of Scripture, about uh, you know, many different things. We can have emotional doubts, not, not feeling forgiven, and not feeling like we think we should feel if we are saved. We can have experiential doubts, right? things that have happened to me or things that I've done uh, that make me doubt and wonder, man, am I really saved? Is God really good? There's all kinds of doubts. And we will have doubts sometimes. We will have doubts. And John's concern is that we reassure our hearts before God. That we reassure our hearts that we can have confidence when these doubts come. And to do that, he gives us a solid basis, I think, for real confidence. A solid basis for real confidence. I think there's, um, there's at least three uh, in, in this passage that, that form a basis for our confidence. I look at verse 19. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Again, um, commentators pretty much agree that this, this verse refers back to the, the verse before it um, that we, in the section that we looked at last week. So if you look back at verse 18, I remember it says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And we talked about this, that we're called to do something. We're called to sacrifice our good, right? Our, our lives, sacrifice things that we value for the good of others. This is what real love is. And, and so verse 19 follows. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth. So if we love in action and in truth, right, rather than just in word and speech, we will know that we belong to the truth. So the first basis then of our confidence before God from this passage is obedience. It's obedience. Uh, we see this elsewhere in scripture, right? In Matthew 7, um, Jesus says, you, you will know them by their fruits, right? A, a, a bad tree uh, bears bad fruit, right? Can't bear good fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. 
and we will uh, know what kind of person it is by what they produce. Galatians 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit that characterize a Christian in contrast to the, the works of the flesh. And isn't what this is, John has been saying all along, right, in this book, in, uh, for instance, in, even in this chapter, in, in chapter 3, verse 10, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. So this is the first basis. Do I bear fruit? Am, am I bearing the fruit of love? Are the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? Now, we, we have to be careful with this one, I think, because it's, it's so hard to see yourself correctly, <laughs> right? We have so much trouble evaluating ourselves correctly. The heart is deceitful, um, Jeremiah tells us. So, so when you struggle with doubt, I would recommend going to those who know you deeply over time, right? your family, your closest friends, um, and, and asking them, man, have you seen the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Have you? And I think that could be a great encouragement to you, right? Fruit grows slowly. It grows over time. It's hard to see in one day, right? If you plant an, an apple tree and the next day you're like, there's no apples, right? Then that's not a problem, right? <laughs> they grow slowly. And, and, and it's over time that we see these things and we see God's work in our life most often. The, the other warning on this one is, is that we're constantly tempted to make God's love um, contingent on our obedience or dependent on our obedience. So when we look at any, anything, time we look at our own, our own love, the things that we do, our own obedience, we're tempted to say, yeah, God, I've, I've done all these things. Um, these are good things, so you owe me love and blessing. And that's just not true. <laughs> it's not true at all, right? Any good fruit in our lives is a result of the spirit inside us. Uh, the, the result of being a child of God and being connected with Christ. And so when we have those self-righteous thoughts, um, we, we need to remember the two men in, in Jesus' parable in Luke 18, right? The first, a religious man who thanked God that he wasn't like other men, right? He wasn't like the sinners, but he tithed, right? He fasted twice a week. He was very disciplined in his, his obedience. And the second man, the immoral man, the tax collector, um, who, who couldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that only one of the, the men went home justified, um, and it wasn't the first. So there's no room for self-righteousness here, uh, ever, right? And, and here, especially. So this is the first basis of our confidence in God, our obedience, the fruit. And I should say one more thing, one more thing about this one. If, if you're listening to this um, and, and you, you don't have confidence in God, uh, it really could be because you aren't one of his children, right? In, in that case, your heart is right in condemning you. God has given us a conscience um, for a reason. If you, you don't really love him, you don't obey him, your life is fundamentally self-centered and self-focused. And I just beg you to think about these things. Right? Because everyone dies, right? Everyone dies, and then comes the judgment. And if you were to stand before God today, um, the, the God who, who is greater than your heart, who knows all things, would he agree with your heart in condemning you? And, and though he might, right? Maybe it's true. If you don't know him, he would. He would agree with your heart. 
I know that seems hopeless and the situation seems hopeless. It's not hopeless for you. (laughs) It's not hopeless for you because there is a savior who has given his life so that you can be forgiven. And his name is Jesus. And he's the only name given to men by which we can be saved. He's the only one who can save you. He's the best. Um, and, And he invites you to come to him. You can come to him now. You can trust him now. It's not too late. And I hope you'll find that confidence. If you don't have it, I hope you'll find it today. Um, what's the second basis? What's the second basis for our confidence? Uh, look again at, at, uh, at 19 and 20. This is how we'll know we belong to the truth. We'll reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us before God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things, okay? Um, so there are some doubts we have. There are some feelings we have that are really hard to shake, Maybe, maybe someone encouraging you by how they see God working in your life, maybe that doesn't help to reassure your heart sometimes. And perhaps you're an overthinker. Perhaps you, you wake up in the, in, the, in the middle of the night with your mind racing sometimes with thoughts and doubts and fears that you have. And here's the basis for your confidence, right? Here's another one. God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. Um, when Job... Right, in the Old Testament, for no, no fault of his own, goes, really goes through hell on earth. Right? He, he loses his, all of his kids die. He loses all his possessions and his wealth. He loses his status and respect. He loses his health. Right? He, everything is taken from him. And he has doubts. Right? He has some serious doubts in this, in this trial. He has questions. He has accusations. He asks, why? Right? Why are you doing this to me? Why didn't I just not ever be born? But in, in some of the, the coolest chapters in the Bible, uh, at the end of the book of Job, uh, God shows up to him. God shows up and answers Job. Uh, and, and he basically says over four chapters, and you should, you should read them, uh, he just says, Man, Job, where were you when I established the earth? Do you know where the lightning and hail is stored? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you, do the, does the hawk take flight by your understanding? Does the eagle soar at your command? Right? He just he piles on these questions like this. What's he doing? He's, he shows Job his greatness. He shows Job his greatness. He shows Job his majesty. And, and the interesting thing is that God never answers Job's questions. Right? He never answers why. He doesn't tell Job. He doesn't tell him. But Job says in the end, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. Job is at peace at the end of the book, but not because he gets his questions answered. He's at peace because he has a new appreciation for the greatness of God. Um, and for his own smallness in comparison. And so we can rest in God. We can assure our hearts before him because he is God and we are not. We can have the spirit of Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. 
So the second basis of our confidence before God is his greatness and his omniscience, that he knows all things. And I found in my life one of the, the, the best and most helpful things for confidence before God is this, to get my eyes off myself and to get them on the Lord and to look to him. So perhaps the solution to your doubts, perhaps the solution to your restless heart is, isn't to get all the answers, but rather to experience in a new way the, God's greatness and to rest in the fact that though you don't know, he does know. There's one more basis for our confidence, but we'll come back to it um, at the end of the message. Let's look now at, at the freedom of confidence, the freedom of confidence. This is perhaps, uh, the, this paragraph, 21 through 24, is, is perhaps the most comprehensive paragraph in this whole letter uh, describing the, the integrated life of a disciple. Uh, by integrated, I mean uh, the, the, a complete, fully formed life, a life that's marked with integrity. And John says we can, have, we can have this confidence before God that leads to the freedom of an integrated life. Okay, so I see at least four areas of freedom here um, for, that happen when we have confidence in God. And, and though we'll talk separately about them, uh, we can t- you know, we'll talk about them one at a time, they're all, they're all integrated, right? You don't have one without the other, so it's all sort of one, one thing here. So the first freedom that I see uh, in, with confidence in God is freedom in prayer. Freedom in prayer. Look at 21. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Um, I have four children and they, they often ask me for things, <laughs> right? Which is the biggest understatement of the message probably. Uh, they ask a lot of questions and, and I like to say yes to them. Um, but I often have to say no, right? For, for their own good, of course. Um, and, and God's the same. God's the same, right? He has lots of children. They're always asking him for things. Um, and he really likes to say yes to us. But of course, he often has to say no to us uh, because sometimes what we ask for isn't ultimately for our good and for the good of others. Um, we, we don't know everything. We can't see everything. One of my goals in, in parenting is that my kids would, would become the type of people uh, who I can always say yes to, right? Um, so, you know, if my six-year-old comes to me and asks me if she can play with, with a toy by herself in exclusion from her friends... I'm likely to, to say, no, you can't, and to teach her uh, to include others and to share. If she comes and asks if she can make snow cones for her friends, which she often does, uh, I'm likely to say yes, right? And to encourage her, her generous spirit. And it's the same with God. It's the same with God. God wants to make you into a person uh, that he can always say yes to. Have you ever thought of that? God wants to say, he wants to form you into a person who he can always say yes to. Basically, when we start walking with God, we're like little kids and it would just not be safe for God to say yes to everything that we ask him for. But he's forming us into people who can actually receive whatever we ask because we keep his commands and do what's pleasing in his sight. Do you see this? It's not saying uh, if you obey God, you can manipulate him, them into doing whatever you ask for, right? No, it's saying 
if you're the type of person who delights yourself in the Lord, then he will, in fact, give you the desires of your heart. He's so generous. He wants to. It's amazing. And so we, we experience this freedom in prayer when we have confidence before God and we receive what we ask for. And so let's experience that freedom. I want us to experience that. I want to experience that. Second freedom that I see in this passage is the freedom to obey and to please God. The freedom to obey and to please God. Um, this is 22. Whatever, we receive whatever we ask for him, from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. This is amazing freedom, right? We're, we are born slaves to sin. Uh, but in Christ, we are now free to obey God. We're free to do what, what is pleasing in his sight. Now, Christians, of course, aren't ever perfect, right, until God returns. But of course, uh, we, we, we do have the ability to grow in our obedience to God, which really does please him. Right? And again, we aren't earning anything, right? Uh, I, I have to keep saying that because, uh, because of our hearts and how we think. I, like, I don't love my son more when he obeys me. I love him regardless. It doesn't change how I feel about him. Um, but I am pleased when he obeys me because he loves me. It makes my heart happy. And, and God is happy when his children obey him out of love for him. Right? He's pleased by our obedience. And what freedom it is. That's amazing. Like we, can, we can obey. We can please God. Let's live in that freedom. The third freedom in, in having confidence before God is the freedom to trust Jesus and love others. Freedom to trust Jesus and love others. This is 23. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. So in case we wonder what commands we, we you know, should obey, uh, you, here's the summary. Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. And notice, he, he, John, is, uh, in 23, the word command is, is singular. Now, this is his command. So you expect him to say one thing. And then he seems to say two things. Believe in Jesus, love others. Right? And you can see what he's doing. He's doing what he's done throughout the whole book. He's saying, this is really two sides of one command, two sides of a coin, right? You can't have one without the other. Uh, you can't say you love God and not love your brothers and sisters. These are, are the same. And so the first side of the coin uh, is to believe in Jesus' name, which means to believe in his person, to believe in who he is and what he did and what he came to do. Uh, we see over in 5.20, uh, and, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So we trust that, that Jesus is, in fact, truly God, and he did come as a man and die in our place for our sin and then come back to life. Um, so that we can know and be reconciled to the Father. We can know the one who's true. We know that we will live forever with him. He is eternal life. And we believe these things. And we believe it to start. We, that's how you become a Christian. You trust Jesus. You trust these things. And we never stop. Right? We continue to believe these things. That's what it means to be a Christian. And isn't it wonderful that, that God's command is to believe this? 
This is so wonderful to me. It's the wonder of Christianity, right? This is in direct contrast to all other religions that tell you to be good, do something so that you will be accepted. Right? And Christianity sometimes gets a bad rap because it's lumped in with other religions and people say, yeah, it's just about like morality, kind of being a good person so that maybe you'll get into heaven, you know? Um, and that's not it. That's just not it. The main command of Christianity, that's what it's saying. This is his command. The main one is a command to believe and to keep believing. Right? You don't have to do anything. Just trust me. Right? I came for you. I love you. I'll take responsibility for all your wrongs. So you can just turn from those things that are killing you and join my family. That's amazing. Right? It's amazing that we, all, all we have to do is trust him. That's the first side of the coin. Uh, trusting and believing in Jesus, and that's what we get to keep doing. And the other side of the coin is, is what John keeps stressing in this book over and over, love one another, right? And you can see last week's message for, for a whole, you know, 30 minutes on that. Uh, but, but I'll just point out here, this is, this is a freedom that we can experience. This is freedom. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 5, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law doesn't rule us anymore. Our sin, our selfish hearts don't rule us anymore. We're free. And we can use that freedom, not for the flesh, not to take advantage of our, our, not to, you know, for our own comfort, for our own good, but to love others, to serve others. That's such freedom. And so let's experience this freedom, right? Let's, let's, of, of trusting in Jesus and of loving each other. Let's keep doing that. The last freedom I see in this passage, the freedom of confidence before God, is that we have freedom to remain in him and he in us. This is 24. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And we're back, right, to union with Christ. This is what, what uh, John's been talking about. It's what he started this chapter with. Uh, we're invited into the freedom of the life of the Trinity. Right? We remain in him. We make our home in him. He makes his home in us. And this is ultimate freedom. This is the freedom we were made, literally made for. This is what we were created for. There is nothing greater than this, to be in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. To be fully known, to be fully loved, and of course, to be in love himself. There have been libraries of books written on on this, and, and of course, there's no words that accurately get to the glory of it. But it deserves our meditation, right? It deserves our, our, uh, our worship and our praise. So we're free to remain in him and let's make our home in Jesus, make our home in his love for us. And this, this is the integrated life of, of confidence before God. Right? This is what we, we can walk in and we can live in, what John wants us to walk in and to live in. And this leads to the last basis uh, for confidence that, that John offers to God's children in this passage, and it's the Holy Spirit. This is the end of, of verse 24. This is the, the way we know that he remains in us. Again, the way we know he remains in us is from the Spirit he's given us from the spirit he's given us. 
Um, if you have confidence before God, uh, if you receive answers to prayer, if you believe in Jesus, if you love others, if you remain in God, do you know why you do? <laughs> because you've been given a gift. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's a gift. God's presence that indwells every Christian, right? He himself inside you. And it's all of grace, right? It's all of grace. It's all a gift. Um, and we don't think about the Spirit as much as we should, I'm afraid. Uh, but his ministry to us and his ministry in us, it gives us great confidence uh, that we remain in God. The, the great passage on this is Romans 8, uh, verse 14. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit testifies that we are God's children. Despite our, our doubting hearts, we really can't have confidence before God. We really can walk in this confidence. We really can walk with a life of integrity, an, an integrated life of freedom, of confidence, of obedience, of love, of prayer. This confidence was bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus for us. May God bless us to walk in this confidence and this freedom by his spirit this week. Pray with me. Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for always giving us what we need. Um, Lord, thank you for the, the confidence that is available to us. Thank you that we can know. Um, thank you that we, we can um, be sure. Lord, it would be, it would be, uh, it would be so hard um, to walk around with, with uncertainty. It would be so hard to walk around and not be able to know that you love us, not be able to know of our future and our future hope, um, but you've given us such, such great confidence, such great promises uh, in your word, and we trust that you uh, tell the truth and you always tell the truth. And so I pray this week that, that you would give us this confidence. And I pray that, that for those of us who, who are doubting, um, who have intellectual doubts, who have emotional doubts, who have uh, experiential doubts, that they, could, that they would, uh, would be able to this week by your spirit to reassure their hearts before even now that you would fill them, you would pour out your love into our hearts by your spirit. Do this for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.